Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is a show where I interview the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Costa Peter Dellis. He is the Global Head of Sales and Operations for Jaguar Land Rover Special Vehicle Operations, in addition to Head of Commercial for Classics. He's also my husband, and so I'm going to try not to be too ridiculously gushing and embarrassing for him whilst I introduce him. But I will say, welcome to the show, Costa. Thank you, Lena. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm good. It's really weird that you're sat upstairs and I'm downstairs here. But anyhow, let's continue. Costa, I know I've been trying to get you onto the podcast for literally since probably my birthday of last year. But I wonder, for those that don't know you as well as I do, obviously whether you could just tell us a little bit about how you came to be where you are today, um, not only in the role that you're in right now, but also some of the early days and the background when you were in the States, when you went to China, and when you then came across to the UK and met me. Sure. Yes. So I am the child of potato farmers, Greek-American potato farmers from Idaho. Um, grew up there my entire life. I um, was very blessed in the sense that I had a very good community, both locally in my hometown where my father's family lived, uh, and then also two hours away where my mother's parents lived in Boise, where our, our very close-knit Greek community was and grew up within the Greek church and everything. So yeah, very strong background um, backing from the people around me and the community around me, but I guess probably part and parcel of why I got out, so I never... Never really wanted to be a potato farmer. I think my my father did his best to tell me not to be a potato farmer. Um, I'm not sure he was convinced I would take it as far as I did. Um, but yeah, so I went to a very small private liberal arts school um, where they teach you to explore yourself and find out who you are. And I did just that. And uh, in consultation with my my university mentor, who was my economics professor told him that I was very keen in studying Japanese and he told me not to waste my time and go study Chinese. So went to China on a quick six week winter study abroad trip, fell in love with it, realized I wanted to go back, um, made arrangements. So the following winter I moved there. So I moved there February 23rd, 2004 and went there to study Chinese full time. I was supposed to be there for six months, ended up staying for 12 years and had a fantastic time. Yeah, did my Finished, did two years worth of Chinese study there, went back to America for six months to finish my undergraduate university degree, and then moved back with a job in a nightclub as a DJ and studying during the day Chinese, and things kind of went from there. I was subsequently employed through a family connection, uh, working for an entrepreneur up in Beijing, a guy named Mitch, who's a close friend still to this day, uh, working. Um, as a communication specialist, which basically means doing anything Mitch wanted, uh, and got exposed to working for an entrepreneur, which was probably the only thing that prepared me to marry an entrepreneur. And uh, so did me did me good in that stead, worked for him for about a year, and then ended up in the film industry, 
I worked as um, international distribution executive doing legal contracts on Chinese films, Chinese blockbuster films for about two, two and a bit years. And decided that I wanted to go back to school, went and did my MBA at the China Europe International Business School. Um, did that for two years, worked simultaneously at the Shanghai Film Group uh, doing productions. I worked as a movie producer still. At the end of my MBA, I realized the film industry probably wasn't for me. A bit, bit too chaotic, a bit too government run in terms of from where I was at in China at the moment. Uh, so ended up getting into Jaguar Land Rover through the Tata China Management Scheme. Uh, so did rotation first at Taj Hotels, studying, working in India, doing a market entry strategy for China. So I was in India for three months and then came back to Beijing for three months, uh, did a market entry strategy for Taj Hotels, sent over to Jaguar Land Rover and got pulled off of my rotation to work in Jaguar Land Rover full time. Did that for four years, crossed primarily sales and operations roles, and then got moved to the UK, back to the headquarters to work in a strategy role, which I did for another three years, and now into my current two positions. Uh, so yeah, and in that period of time, 2017, I met my very lovely wife, who's now interviewing slash interrogating me. So, all right, fire away. I absolutely love it. It is just a brilliant opportunity to interrogate you whilst on camera and being recorded. But on a serious note, it is... I mean, you've had an incredible career and life, um, you know, from coming from a, a real small town or big town, I guess, in comparison to the UK in Idaho, to going across to, to China. And I love that you missed out the fact that you can speak Chinese uh, as well, or Mandarin rather, to then coming to the UK. There's, you know, there's a huge amount of international breadth of experience there. Um, and I suppose for me, and I always wonder, and perhaps <laughs> this is a bit embarrassing, but one of the things that drew me to, to you is your incredible knowledge of, of many different places, um, you know, your, your understanding of, of how you put and piece all of that together, ultimately. And so I wonder... And when it comes to the, the, the two roles that you're in right now and some of the things that you've done, you know, what are some of the biggest learning lessons that you've had, um, in particular in relation to cultural experiences, per se? It's mm, a very good question. I think, I mean, clearly moving to China probably had the biggest impact on me, obviously. Uh, other than kind of birth and being raised where I was raised and the family I was raised. But yeah, it was, I mean, it was a big change of pace. I, I lived, <laughs> you know, there are more people in my apartment complex in Shanghai and Beijing than were in my hometown. So is a completely different world. I think what it really taught me, and I think probably, you know, the two biggest learnings I took from that, which I think has ultimately shaped me is one flexibility and adaptability when you move to another country, to another culture, um, you kind of really just have to take things as they come um, and embrace the experiences that present themselves and put yourself in positions and situations that you normally wouldn't. Um, you learn an incredible amount about yourself when you're living somewhere else in a different place, in a different culture. Um, 
you learn who you really are, which is, which is great. And I think the second thing, and, and probably one of the most valuable things, particularly in a professional context, um, and you may disagree with me on this one, is you learn how to really listen to people because you're actually hearing what they're saying. And that comes from my personal, my humble opinion. Uh, when, when you speak a different language, you really have to pay attention to not only what physically is coming out of someone's mouth, but also what, what the meaning and the intent is behind it. And that goes both ways. So for trying to listen and understand what Chinese people were, were actually saying in Chinese and trying to listen to what Chinese friends, French friends, Aussie friends, because they speak weird English. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, but trying to understand what all sorts of you know people were saying and trying to communicate to you. And I think you really, you know, when, when, when you're stuck in, I don't want to say stuck, when you are constantly in your home environment, your home situation, your home culture, everything's very comfortable. It's, it's very easy um, to just stop listening really intently and stop hearing what people are saying and try to stop hearing what people are trying to convey. And I think the, when, when you do go out and, and you study abroad and you learn something else and you learn something different, you learn a different language, you learn a different culture, you actually truly, truly learn how to learn um, and learn how to listen. And uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd say those are the two biggest things. And I wonder when it comes to the Chinese language and learnings, and I know I've asked you before, do you ever think in Chinese? Because of course I can't speak it. And so there's a reason I find it so fascinating asking about the Chinese piece. Um, you know, being adopted um, by amazing parents who you obviously know incredibly well. But you know, did it change your outlook on life, the, the learning of the different cultures and in particular Chinese? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, w I, would, I mean, I wouldn't put it down to the language per se, but the Chinese culture is very fascinating. Um, it is quite philosophical. It very much, in my opinion, American culture where I'm from is, is a lot about immediacy right now. Uh, and Chinese culture being as long as, and as distinguished as, is, as it is really you know, they're able to see things in long terms and in the long game. Um, and I think that, that was, that was one of the main things. There's always a deeper meaning. There's always a deeper issue. There's always a, a deeper element that, um, that, that you can focus on. And I think, you know, one of the things that always stuck with me and I, I try to apply it in a, in a professional context and personal context at times as well is you know, a lot of Western culture and Western medicine was the context it was using at the time is the is Western medicine addresses the symptom that doesn't address the issue, the core issue And Chinese medicine, they say aims, aims to address that. Right. And that's, I think that's very philosophical of, of kind of Chinese culture is they're always, what is, what is the deeper issue? What is the, the deeper seated element that you need to be addressing as opposed to just what, what exists on the surface. And yeah, so a, a lot of times, particularly in a professional context, when you come across issues, it's, you know, is, is that, are you trying to address what's actually bubbled to the surface? Or is there something more deep seated and something more intrinsic that's, uh, that's, that's, at, that's at play? And how do you address that and try to change it more in the longer term? And how about the, the other different cultures? Because obviously you're Greek, 
you're American, you're now living in the UK, married to someone who arguably you're more Chinese than, and you've spent a very long time in, in China, uh, in Beijing and, and Shanghai, respectively. How has that impacted you as a person? Because I'm sure, you know, there's many ex expats and international execs that I'd speak to uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And often they find the, the cultural transition from one place to another or even back again to where they were previously the most difficult thing that they've had to endure, either personally or as a, as a family unit. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's probably been less challenging to that degree, to that sense. Uh, and, and I'd say that because of you know, one of my two main learnings, which we quoted previous in this, was you know, adaptability. Um, really, really adapting to the situation you're in, really embracing the situation that you're in. I mean, you'll see a lot of expatriates that go overseas and, and you know, I don't want to paint with a, a too broad of a brush here, but you'll see a lot of them that try to transplant their life from where they were from to where they were going um, and add on some luxuries, like probably more immersive house care and um, drivers and all sort all manner of things. Right. And, and those are the people that, you know, really struggle to a degree when they go over, but definitely coming back that all of a sudden, wait, we have to go back to reality and all those things don't exist anymore. You know, they never learn, never learn to lick of the language, never truly get into the culture. They've just tried to transplant what they had and make it, make it better and teach their own, you know, for some people that works for me, that was never the case for me. It was, you know, I started as a poor student, uh, enjoyed my time there, got massively immersed, you know, best friends were Chinese and Japanese and, and, Americans and French and Germans. And so it was really great. And uh, yeah, that, that's when you learn how to, you know, kind of accept where you are and then absolutely make the most of it. And I think only when you do that, can you really become comfortable somewhere else? I'd like to think I'm not a, I'm not solely a product of where I grew up. I'm a product of everywhere that I've been. And um to that degree, I'm, I'm, I'm adaptable and I find moving somewhere else is additive to my persona, not restrictive or um, hindering me in some sort of way or challenging my lifestyle or way of life. So yeah, it's a map that I keep adding to and I'm very pleased. And what about diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity? What does that mean to you? Uh, I think for me, it's, you know, something I probably wouldn't be normally predisposed to, you know, a middle-aged white guy coming from a white family in a predominantly white country in an area that is almost exclusively white. Uh, so I, I never, I doubt I would have had a lot of context on diversity and inclusion had I stayed where I was uh, and probably to a, a, a degree if I'd moved directly from America to England. However, I moved to a place in China where I was very visibly different and very visibly not from there. And, you know, people will argue that to, to a degree, white Western expatriates get treated relatively well in China. And I'd say by and large, that's, that's the case, but you are treated differently nonetheless. And 
you know, before you learn the language, there's probably a lot more things being said about you that are either neutral or not nice, uh, like looking like a chicken, apparently, uh, which is what I was accused of one time. Um, that, that, you know, that, that you really understand what it is like to be different, to be visibly different, to be treated different, to be talked about different. And it had a massive impact that, you know, you can't let the stares get to you. You can't let the comments get to you. You can't do anything. And I think Mitch, you know, Mitch, my, my Beijing Buddha, who I work for, he, you know, he, he always had something to say that, you know, gave me these pearls of wisdom, as you like to say, all over the place. And one of them was local Chinese people will think you are entitled. You'll have to work twice as hard to truly earn their respect. And I, and I took that to heart. And that's something that I, I'd like to think that I live by, you know, every day that I was in China and you know, I worked hard to, to accomplish what I accomplished. I worked hard to learn the language. I worked hard to understand the culture. I worked hard to be a positive contributor to the society that I, you know, I, I was involved in and the community that I was involved in. And I felt very invested in it. And um, hopefully I was seen as a, as a positive influence and a positive contributor and a, someone that, had a truly Chinese experience. I dare say I'm a bit biased here, but I absolutely agree that you will have been a huge contribution to everything that you did when you were out in China. And I love as well that you say, and you were so incredibly invested in almost immersing, immersing yourself in, in a culture that was ultimately incredibly foreign. It would be really easy to say, hey, uh, that guy's entitled or make those assumptions, those predisposed assumptions. But actually what you've kind of proved in saying everything that you have is that diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, you know, whatever we want to, whatever words we want to call that, actually it goes so much further than just surface level. It's, you know, way deeper, you know, than that. It's our rich experiences that lead us to, to where we are today, ultimately. I wonder whether you could teach me a little bit about the Chinese culture and whether you might be able to say a couple of words in Chinese about embracing Chinese New Year and saying Happy New Year to those that are tuning in. Yeah, of course. Um, so <laughs> Chinese culture, uh, Chinese New Year is the best. It is particularly when, when, when you're in China, it is absolute mayhem. I remember the first time I was there, I was there the winter of 2003 on that study abroad that I mentioned. And you know, it was 14, 15 days. I think it was the fourth or fifth day, the money God day. We were in, in downtown Shanghai and I was convinced that, half the city was going to burn down, fireworks and explosions and, you know, fireworks bouncing off of windows and skyscrapers, um, which is just epic to see. Um, but the more, the more pertinent thing is the day before we were actually still in Suzhou. And when we were in Suzhou, we were spending a significant amount of time at the university there, which is subsequently why I went back to the university to study there for two years. And the faculty from the international school invited us to their home. So I, I spent a night in a Chinese family's home, hand rolling dumplings, hand making dumplings, walk, watching the TV extravaganza. It was so much, so incredibly fun. And that to me was the most striking thing. One of the most striking things about China was 
how absolutely lovely the people are and how accepting they are of foreigners or at least myself in, in that instance and how welcoming they were to their home, how much they wanted to share with you their warmth, their sense of family, their culture. Uh, and it was great. And I, you know, I had, the, I had the good fortune of then seeing the next 11 Chinese New Year's in China. And it was, it was great every single year and a spectacular time. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it was just so much fun to see. It was a billion people, or, you know, a city of 30 million, it's 30 million people all sharing and rejoicing and, and um, celebrating a, a very beautiful, a very beautiful culture. And so it was, it was always, it was always fun. It was always a highlight of the year, clearly. Uh, you couldn't hear and you couldn't sleep for days, but it was, it was totally worth it. The, I think what I would share is what, what, what they say in Chinese. It's, uh, Xin Xian Ti Jiankang, Wang Shi Rui, Gong Xi Fa Zai. Which is a traditional saying that they say. So you know that I feel a fraud sometimes being Chinese, given that I can't speak anything. But I'm going to ask, what does that actually mean, Costa? means happy new year um good health um good luck like so you make it through everything smoothly and then good fortune i thought oh god i'm gonna show my lack of chinese skill here but i thought happy new year in chinese was kung hei fa choi that's cantonese that's gong shi fa is of course. And on that note, there's so many different languages and dialects in China. So, of course, in Hong Kong, there's Cantonese, and then there's the Shanghainese, which you spoke. And it talks a little bit about no, different didn't. types of languages. I did not speak any Shanghainese. I only Eek. spoke Mandarin. Eek. I mean, there's, lo there's local dialects everywhere. There's Shanghainese, there's Fujianese, there's Sujianese. Um, yeah, there's loads everywhere and that's that's the thing right i mean culture has been around for five thousand years local areas develop local dialects it's like you know manchester accents and birmingham accents and london accents to the extreme uh to the point where it's you know, completely different pronunciations and words and you know 50 miles here 100 miles there and they can't understand one another so it's yeah it's it's hugely complex but you know very very colorful in that sense do your impression of a, a Mancunian accent. No way. <laughs> oh, damn it. I was so close, so close. No way. <laughs> so I don't know whether you've actually listened to any of the podcasts previously, but if you had... <laughs> of course I have. You would... I know. You'd know that there's a lightning round coming up next, and I'm okay. going to give you... <laughs> About 30 seconds to answer each of the next questions, starting off with the most difficult. And okay. don't feel that you have to please your very lovely wife, obviously. Um, but <laughs> I wonder who's been, not me, obviously, who's been the biggest inspiration in your career and all your life today? Other than my wife. Yeah. Okay. Other than my wife. 
I'm going to paint a wide swath and say my family. Uh, I come from a very hardworking family. Uh, my grandfather, my father's side was a farmer. My father, also a farmer. Uncles, farmers. And then on my mother's side, my, uh, my grandfather and his brother owned a shoe store and they did shoe shines and sold shoes. And my uncle started as a shoe shiner and ended up as a bond broker. So I think where we come from in terms of Idaho, it's very... Um, down to earth people, um, very hardworking, very humble. And I'd say that, that they would be my biggest inspiration. I'll let you off with going over 30 seconds on that one, Costa. <laughs> oh, I thought I had 30 seconds to think of it and then answer, but anyway, sorry about that. <laughs> I'm only joking. Next, I wonder if you could go back in time and give the, the young Costa advice, or indeed someone else who's in a similar situation. They've lived in the same place all their life and they're considering whether to go abroad. What would you say to them? Don't think, just jump. Right. We, we think we can always talk ourselves out of anything. Just do it, just jump, it'll work out. And is there any advice that you'd like to give other leaders as well who are tuning in? And by leaders, you know how I feel about leadership. I do genuinely believe that anyone can be a leader, no matter where they are in their career or in their life. Um, but in particular, for those that would love to follow in, in a career perhaps similar to the one that you've had, what would you say? Listen and learn to listen. I think it's the most... People will say that, but I don't know if they really mean it. Truly learn to listen. You'll learn a lot more than you think you will. And particularly in a professional context, your people and the people around you, they're passionate about where they are. They know what the issues are. They know how to fix it. They know what it takes to throw themselves completely at it. Listen and tap into that. Thanks so much, Costa. It's been slightly odd, but amazing having you on the show. And true to form, I always do a summary of some of the learning points. And honestly, I have learned a lot. You know, everything from learning more about the Chinese culture, um, you know that I love to learn more about that, but also about intersectionality. Um, you know, I've said it to many, many people, I've said it to you many different times, is you know, there's so many different things that make us up as human beings, whether it be where we're from, the experiences we've had, the languages that we've learned, the people we've met along the way, all those different things that make us up uh, as, as people and ultimately guide and shape our future. I particularly loved the, the piece around philosophy, um, again, probably because it's linked to, uh, to Chinese culture and to learning more about, about my background and heritage and uh, you know I love getting to to learn uh, that from you but also you know the the point that really resonates and I'm sure it will with many who are tuning in today is the fact that listening is so critically important and as simple as that might sound to truly truly listen is an art and will I do believe change change changes your life if you can learn to do that properly and, and, and really and really continue uh, to do that as you go up throughout each phase of your 
your career and or indeed your life. So thank you so much for, for joining me on the show today. You're welcome. Really now I can come down and cook our Chinese dinner, right? Yeah, exactly. You have been promising for long enough that you're going to do this podcast. So I'm glad that I finally, <laughs> finally captured you into doing it. So as always, you can listen back again on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, favorite podcast app, or check us out online where all the show notes will be there. If you've been affected by anything at all from today's show, please don't be a stranger. Please do reach out. Uh, you can catch Costa uh, on LinkedIn. We'll put his details in there for you as well. www.dalglobal.org forward slash podcast. And we'll look forward to seeing you again very soon.